Let's come to the Lord in prayer and let's ask his help for tonight, shall we? Father, before we turn to your word, we would ask you for the precious Holy Spirit to be given to each one of us in this room tonight, to illuminate the meaning of the word to our own hearts, Lord, that we may go away with a strong understanding of what your word says and how to apply it to our lives today. May the Lord Jesus be glorified in all these things, and we ask this in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please would you turn with me to Daniel and chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we're looking at one verse tonight, Daniel 9 verse 27. But it's a part of a bigger passage, so I want to back up a little bit to verse 20. And we'll take the scripture reading from there. But the verse we're focusing on is verse 27. Daniel, of course, was one of the exiles in Babylon in the captivity, the the Babylonian captivity of the Jewish people. And uh, this was written somewhere around the year 600 BC. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, which is Jerusalem, by the way, Zion. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even In troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. That old phrase can also be read, until the end, desolations are determined, without the uh, joining uh, there. Anyway, verse 27. This is our verse tonight. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate or the desolator. Well, please keep your Bibles open there. 
Well, we've been looking a little bit at uh, the end times over the last few weeks as we've entered the new year, and we've been looking at different passages. And one of the more interesting books on the subject of the Antichrist to come out in the last few years is a book by a man called Tim Cohen, although that's not his real name, that's a pseudonym. Uh, And he writes under a pseudonym because he's frightened for his own life in publishing his book. His book is called The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. And it presents the startling claim that Prince Charles of England, who's now King Charles, of course, could actually be the Antichrist who is to come in Scripture. That's the purpose of the book. Now, the, the theory behind this rests an awful lot on Prince Charles's crest. This crest is uh, full of rich symbolism. And the symbolism seems to match again and again and again the things that are said in the Bible about the Antichrist. So, for instance, you'll notice on this side here we have a white horse. And in Revelation chapter 6... The uh, book of Revelation begins the tribulation with a rider on the white horse going out, which is the Antichrist. It's not to be confused with the true Christ at the end who comes back on a white horse at the second coming. But that's one of the first things. And uh, David Jeremiah, for instance, calls the Antichrist the dark prince on the white horse. And that's one of the emblems there. Another interesting thing is this horse has a horn on it. It's obviously a unicorn. Um, But the horn, again, is another symbol of the Antichrist. In the book of Daniel, one of the names of the Antichrist is the little horn. Uh, We see that in Revelation as well, but especially in Daniel chapter 7. But that horse with his uh, horn on his head also has an eye. But that eye is not a horse's eye, it's a human's eye. And uh, although this isn't a biblical thing, this is something which is well known to people who are familiar with uh, things to do with the end times. Because there's a group uh, in the world of globalists that we were talking about globalism this morning called the Illuminati. They're a group that go back hundreds of years. They're all linked in with things like Freemasonry and things like this. They're a real group. It's not a made-up group. It's a real thing. And the Illuminati are very powerful people who uh, are supposed to be uh, engineering uh, a global global system uh, to bring a man to the throne. And uh, their symbol is the eye in a triangle, the human eye in a triangle. Now, when you see Prince Charles sat on his throne with the triangle behind it and the circle and his head exactly where the eye is. This adds to the the feeling of the conspiracy for those who hold this view. Then down here on the crest, we have a red dragon. And again, I mean, this just grows as you go on with it, but the red dragon is a never symbol connected with the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 12, we have the red dragon who is Satan, who uh, uh, is uh, the one who the Antichrist works for and is a symbol of the the devil. We're going to talk about that again a little bit tonight. Um, But of course, that's the, the flag of Wales, but uh, it's a red dragon, and that matches in. When you put all these things together, uh, the the whole thing grows. Then on this side, you have a lion, (laughs) but it's not all a lion. Uh, 
It looks like a lion, but actually it's a composition. You have a mouth of a lion uh, and a head of a lion. If you look at the body, the body is not the body of a lion. It's actually the body of a leopard. It hasn't got any spots, but it's the shape of a leopard. And if you look at the feet, it's the feet of a bear. And that, again, is the symbolism of Revelation chapter 13 and the Antichrist, the beast that comes out of the sea with the head of the lion, the body of the leopard, the feet of the bear, and the teeth uh, that are fierce and terrible. And uh, I'm trying to remember what comes next. Oh, yeah, and then in the middle, you have uh, ten lions altogether with the overlapping crests, which is uh, a reminder, again, of the ten puppet kings who work for the Antichrist in the tribulation. And when you put all this together with the fact that Prince Charles not long ago was given a statue of himself as an angelic being coming down, uh, which is said to be Prince Charles, the saviour of the world, it causes a lot of people to go, ah, is this the Antichrist after all. At first, what looks like a bit of a crackpot theory begins then to make people think, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't so daft after all, the more you look at it. And it causes a lot of people alarm. Is Prince Charles the Antichrist? I'm going to tell you, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. But I will tell you this, they're onto something, that the Antichrist is called in Scripture the Prince who is to come. He's the prince to come. Prince Charles is now the king, of course, uh, but the prince who is to come. That's a phrase that comes from this very passage in verse 26, where he's called the prince who is to come. Now, one of the things we want to do studying this passage tonight is to learn some details, some key details about the Antichrist, because it's very important for us to know about this figure who's coming in the Bible. The Bible is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole of scripture is teaching us about Christ. But in the process, it's also teaching us about Christ's enemies. And the Antichrist is the chief one of those enemies. Because he is the opponent, the Antichrist, the one who's against him and will be against him in the last days. And the Bible tells us that uh, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world even now today in the book of 1 John. So we need to be alert and we need to be aware. A lot of people uh, don't like talking about the Antichrist and you'll hear a lot of prophecy teachers saying, oh, we hear too much talk about the Antichrist these days. What we really need to do is be focusing always on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I get what they're, they're saying, and a lot of them love to quote that hymn that the bride has no eyes but for her bridegroom. And, uh, and I get the point of what they're saying. But you know what? I noticed even Daniel himself in chapter 7, when he received the vision of the, uh, of the different beasts out the sea, it was the little horn he was interested in. And he asked the angel who revealed all these things. He didn't ask him about the Ancient of Days. He asked, who was the little horn? Daniel was wise to ask the question, and we're not wrong to study these things. The Bible wants us to be watchful and aware. 
So we want to look tonight at this passage. And Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27, is a very key passage that deals with the Antichrist. It's a part of a bigger prophecy that was given to Daniel when he had been praying in Babylon as a captive there for the future of his people. He'd just read the book of Jeremiah and he'd come to the conclusion that the 70 years of captivity was almost up and it was time now for the people of God soon to be going home. And so he started to pray about this. And in answer to his prayer, God sent him the angel Gabriel called a man there because angels appear as men in scripture but obviously he's an angel because in verse 21 he flies swiftly to reach him and uh, he says Daniel he said the moment you started praying I was sent with this answer which is a lovely encouragement to us isn't it when our, our prayers are heard immediately at the throne of God you don't have to wait 14 years for your prayers to get through in the long queue of all the prayers going through to God and he said as soon as you had prayed uh, I have I was sent, and I have now come to give you skill to understand. And in verse 24, he explains the the reasons for God's program for Israel and what it's working towards. And uh, it's a time uh, program uh, given here in this passage that's broken down. And it comes down to this last verse in verse 27, which contains uh, a period of one week. Now we're going to talk about that because that's not a week of days, that's a week of years, seven years. And this prophecy of years gives us the program for Israel for the future. Uh, It's called the 70 weeks prophecy. 70 times 7 is 490. It's a period of 490 years. We have weeks of days in our calendar, but the Jewish people have weeks of years as well. Uh, That's why they have a Sabbath year as well as a Sabbath day for every seven years and so on. And this period of 490 years has one last period left at the end of it of one week, which is where we find the teaching about the Antichrist. And I want us to look at this verse tonight because in it we have four vital details about the Antichrist that are key aspects for anybody wanting to understand Bible prophecy to know what the Bible says about this man. It shows us his identity, it shows us his activity, it shows us his idolatry and it shows us his calamity. So let's have a look at this passage together tonight. First of all, then, his identity. It starts off in verse 27, then he. And that he is a reference to the prince who is to come. And uh, we want to talk tonight about him and discover his identity. Now, there's a picture of a man up on the screen here. uh, And I wonder if he looks familiar to anybody here tonight. You knew it straight away, didn't you, Beryl? Okay, well, this man here, this man here, this man here, these men here, is this man here. It's Adolf Hitler in different disguises. And what this picture was, it was a picture that was given to the FBI to help them try and identify Hitler if he was in hiding. So that if he had escaped the justice of uh, which he did, of course. But if he had escaped justice at the end of the war and they saw him, they'd be able to identify him and uh, therefore arrest him. Well, 
the identity of the Antichrist is in some ways a bigger subject even than spotting the identity of Adolf Hitler in hiding. And there's no short amount of detail in scripture about the Antichrist to help us understand. The trouble is, so much of it seems to say different things, that it leads people into different opinions about where the Antichrist is to come from. But I want you to see from this passage, we have uh, one of the more definite, clear uh, verses that helps us to understand. It says in verse 27, then he, but who is the he? It's the he is the last person who's been mentioned in the passage before, verse 26. And uh, you'll notice it says in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That's talking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ after the right period of time. And then it says this, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, what is the city and what is the sanctuary? Well, the city is obviously Jerusalem and the sanctuary is the temple. And after Jesus died on the cross, of course, the Romans in 70 AD destroyed both. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. It's one of the more gruesome and terrible descriptions that you'll ever find anywhere uh, in the world of a city being destroyed if you ever read Josephus. It is really absolutely stomach-churning to read what happened at that time. But it was done by the Roman people. It was done by the Roman army. And if you look carefully at how this verse is written, it says that it was the people of the prince who is to come who shall destroy the city. So if it was the Romans and the prince who is to come is of that people, who is the Antichrist? He is a Roman. He's connected with Rome. Now, that's a a fascinating thing. We were talking this morning about the rise of Babylon. But I've got news for you. It's not just Babylon that's going to rise in the last days. It's also Rome. Rome is going to rise again. Now, when I say Rome is going to rise again, I don't mean soldiers with sandals and spears and, and, and tin hats and that. I mean the United Nations of Rome emerging again. And we've had political treaties to try and bring this about for a number of years. We've had the Club of Rome. We've had, uh, uh, you know, different uh, peace, uh, Roman organizations, Roman leagues. And uh, even in recent years, you know, when Boris Johnson went off to sign those papers, um, he went first of all to the Vatican and then he went to sign the papers in Rome. And uh, he said, you know, it, uh, it was a, a Rome, it was like being a Roman that day. And this is what they've said, you know, we felt like Romans when we were signing these papers. And this is what is going to come again in the last days. We are going to see a rise again of Rome. And uh, one of the things about Europe is it definitely seems to be the heart of the Roman Empire again, rising again, which is why I personally, and a lot of evangelical Christians, we cheered Brexit because we felt, right, if that's where it's coming back and that's where the Antichrist is going to come from, we don't want any part of that and we want to step back from that. And uh, that's 
one of the uh, key verses for understanding the identity of the Antichrist. He's of the people who shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And this is one of the key things. So you say, great, well, that's easy then. Our subject, you know, we can tie that one up. The Antichrist is a Roman. End of story. Well, I wish it was that easy. But actually, there's a lot of other uh, details as well. For instance, one of the, some of the verses in the Bible seem to suggest that the Antichrist is also a Jew. And actually, this makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that he's going to be the Antichrist. If he's going to be a Messiah figure and he's going to lead Israel astray, Israel is not going to follow a Gentile Messiah. They're not that stupid. They're going to follow a Jewish Messiah. So he has to have some connection with Israel as well. And in Genesis 49, we have uh, scripture that connects him with the tribe of Dan, which is one of the tribes uh, of Israel, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's fascinating when you read Revelation 7 and you read about the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe, you go down the list and you think, hang on a minute, where's Dan? Dan isn't mentioned. Why? Is it because that's the tribe he comes from? And there's lots of other scriptures. We're going to do a study one day on the Antichrist aspect of being from the tribe of Dan. But that's another thread in this. He's also possibly connected to Edom. And I've got a flag up there for the Palestinians. Because the Palestinians, as they're called, are actually Jordanian Arabs. They're Edomites. And uh, it's interesting, somebody pointed this out, if you look at the colours of the flag of Palestine, they're the the colours of the four horses of the apocalypse. Which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I I don't think they did that on purpose, but to my mind, you know, it's fascinating how these things work out. But in Revelation chapter 12, you have... The, the, the dragon appearing who is Satan trying to destroy the baby Jesus when he's born. And we talked about this some time back. And red is the color of the dragon. Why is he red in, in color? He says the color of blood or it's the color of anger. No, you've got to think scripturally. Go back to your Bible, back to the beginning of the Bible. Who was red? It was Esau. Genesis 25, verse 24, Esau was a red man, and red was his color, and he even asked Jacob for some of that red pottage. Red is the color associated with Edom. And the fascinating thing is, Edom itself, the place of Edom where Petra is, is a place full of red rocks. And you go there, and you see it's known as the Red Rock City. You know, it's just fascinating how it all ties together with the color red. And uh, there's lots of scripture that suggests the Antichrist also has a connection with Eden, not just that there. For instance, in Daniel chapter 11, you'll notice out of all the countries that he conquers in the world, the land of Jordan is given special privilege and escapes. Why? Because he seems to have some connection with this people group too. And then add into the mix, of course, the verse we've just seen today, that he's from Rome. And you have at least three strands there that show possible threads linking the Antichrist to all three. 
Now, some people say, well, how on earth can he be from all three? That's a bit, you know, bit confused, isn't it? The Bible's obviously made a mistake here. You know, the one author got one bit wrong and somebody else didn't. You know, they obviously weren't collaborating. Well, they weren't collaborating. They were led by the Holy Spirit to write it like this. But they can easily be from all these things. I'll give you an answer. Do you remember who was on the throne when Jesus was born? It was King Herod, wasn't it? And King Herod was an Edomite, he was an Edomian, who was put in power by the Romans. He was a Roman, and he was of part Jewish descent as well. Do you see how all three came together in one man? Well, that's what's going to happen again with the Antichrist. And by the way, what did Herod try to do? He tried to kill Christ, didn't he? He was anti-Christ. And in the process, he also had a holocaust of the Jews. He killed all the babies in Bethlehem. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. So King Herod is a great biblical picture for helping us to understand how all these things come together. But what we see clearly from this verse is the Roman connection. And I want you to get that because that's a big part of understanding the Antichrist. And it's a big part of understanding Bible prophecy as well. We're going to talk again in coming weeks and, uh, about Rome rising as well, and not just Roman Catholicism. That is a part of it, but it's not the same as the Rome that's coming. We need to understand the identity of the Antichrist. And by the way, although there's some disagreement among Christians about where he is because they don't see all those three things together like I do, one thing we are all agreed on is this we all agree where he's going. <laughs> we may not all agree where he came from, whether he came from Jew, uh, Jew, being Jewish, Edomite or Roman, but uh, we all agree where he's going. He's going to the lake of fire, as the book of Revelation says. And uh, we thank God for that, actually, that the world will be delivered from him. The only question I have is, are you going there with him? And if you don't know Christ as your saviour and truth tonight, then you need to turn to him and be saved, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one you need, not Antichrist. second thing I want you to see here is his activity, because verse 27 goes on and gives us more detail. It says, then he, that's the prince who is to come, who is of the people who destroy the city and the sanctuary, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now this here points to the Antichrist activity, that he is going to confirm a covenant. Now, what is meant by the word covenant? Well, a covenant is a binding agreement. This is biblical language 101. You need to know this. The Bible is a book of covenants, whether we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, or the Lord Jesus' new covenant in my blood, which we have as we have a communion. The Bible is a book of covenants all the way through. And just as the Lord Jesus made a covenant with his, uh, with it's the covenant actually is made with Judah uh, and Israel as, as is promised there, the new covenant, but by extension incorporates the church. So the Antichrist is going to make a covenant as well with the people of Israel. Although I say he makes a covenant, actually you'll notice the phrases he confirms a covenant. And this is a fascinating thing. It seems to be that he may actually be 
ratifying a covenant that had been tried to be made before. And he's saying, now you know that thing we did back in the past. We're going to get that to work now. We're going to pull that out. and We're going to get that to work. And he makes a covenant with many for one week. Now who are the many? Now the word for many here is a fascinating word in Hebrew. It's the word for rabbi. It's the word for rabbis. It's the word for many because it's multiple, but it's the same word that we use, as I understand it, for rabbis too. And it's believed by a lot of scholars, and I would definitely go along with this, that the people he's making a covenant with is the nation of Israel, because this whole prophecy is about Israel, and in particular, the spiritual leadership of Israel. Remember, he's the Antichrist. He wants to take Israel in and draw them in. So who has he got to get on board? He's got to get the spiritual leadership on board. And in 2005, on the shores of Tiberias, uh, of the city of Tiberias, at the uh, uh, Lake Galilee, up in the north of Israel, something happened which made the way for this to happen. And that was the first regathering of the Sanhedrin since after the days of the New Testament. Not a lot of people know about this, but the Sanhedrin, which condemned Jesus to death and continued for a number of years afterwards, it was dissolved, of course, with the collapse of the, of the city of Israel. It has been reestablished in the land of Israel today. And this is one of the vital links ready for the coming of the temple again and for the, because they've got to appoint the priests and also for the making of a covenant with the Antichrist, with the many. And uh, I think it's fascinating to make us realize how much closer we are. And he confirms a covenant for one week. Now, this covenant uh, is, by all appearance, a peace treaty. How many times have we seen Israel making peace treaties with her enemies? You know, uh, those of you at least my age, uh, maybe older, you know, you remember these scenes of Bill Clinton, especially on the White House lawns, getting uh, Israel and her enemies to shake hands. And it's peace in our time, but of course it never lasts. Henry Kissinger, who died recently, he got himself on the radar of a lot of Christians because he said, if we can make a covenant between Israel and her neighbors for, say, seven years we can have a starting point for peace in the Middle East. He said, if you try to have peace forever, he said, that's just not going to work. Nobody's going to be able to agree to peace forever. But if you say, look, we'll have seven years, we'll make peace for seven years, that's a starting point. Now, the phrase used here for one week is the phrase for seven years. Is that the covenant that the Antichrist is going to say, let's see if we can get that working after all. And he makes a deal with Israel for one week. Now, this one week uh, signing of the covenant with Israel is uh, going to be what is the trigger 
for the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. A lot of people ask us the question, when you're talking about the tribulation, the end times, how do you know it's going to be seven years? And the answer is from this verse. You see, Daniel's prophecy is a prophecy of 490 years, or 70 times seven. And in the prophecy, it's broken down into three stages. You have the first one is the seven times seven years, which is at the beginning, which talks in verse 25 about the street of the city being rebuilt. And uh, by, that, by the time the, the, the wall of the city is rebuilt, the first seven times seven years will be completed. That's a period of 49 years. And uh, that was the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem in the days of Nehemiah. And you remember that from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a decree from his king Artaxerxes, which was in 445 BC. Uh, Sir Robert Anderson did the background work on that with uh, the people at Greenwich Meantime. And uh, he established the fact that that's when the clock started ticking. And for seven years, seven times seven years, 49 years, that was the period until the wall was built. But then it says there's going to be 62 seven years, uh, lots of seven years, 62 weeks. And he said at the end of that, in verse 26, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And so what it's saying is if you add another seven years onto the 62, what you come to is 432, 434 years, uh, which is 483 years when all added up. Now, at the end of 483 years, when do you come to? You come to April 32 AD, which is when Jesus died on the cross. Mm. What really gets creepy is when you turn it into days, bearing in mind the Jews use a shorter calendar uh, by shorter months of 30 days. They use a lunar calendar rather than a solar calendar. And you bear in mind their jubilees and all, all the rest of it. It works out at 173,880 days to the day. And that was the day the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. And what did he say to Israel in Luke chapter 19? If you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But they didn't know. They thought, oh, that Bible prophecy stuff, that's so complicated. We just ignore that. It doesn't matter. It did so matter. They rejected their Messiah because they didn't know the time of his coming. You think this stuff doesn't matter as far as the Lord concerned. It's very important for all of us to learn. And so that time frame was fulfilled and Jesus died just as it says here. The Messiah shall be cut off. He, that's a phrase for his death but not for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for us when he died on the cross. But in verse 26, then you have the time after that when you have the sanctuary destroyed. And uh, this then leads us to understand there's a gap before the last seven years is fulfilled. There is a gap because uh, you have a period of time leading up to the last seven years. It's as if God put his finger on the clock and said, right, we're going to stop it there and we're going to save the last seven years for a future point in history. And that last seven years is what the book of Revelation is about. It's about 
the tribulation period. And if you read in the book of Revelation, you'll keep finding the phrase 42 months, or a time, times and half a time, or the phrase 1,260 days. Do you know what all those three phrases are? They're all three and a half years. It's half of the seven-year period. And that's built into two, three and a half years. This is a fascinating thing. When Jesus came, how long was his ministry? Three and a half years. From his baptism to his death, three and a half years. Before that, you had three and a half years of John the Baptist's ministry. Seven years. Israel had seven good years with the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist here proclaiming the gospel. They rejected it. And so, unfortunately, they're going to have to have seven bad years in the future, which is called in scripture by many names, including the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's like Pharaoh's dream. You know, Pharaoh had the dream of the seven, uh, of the seven years of famine following the seven years of plenty. Well, Israel's had their years of plenty. They've got the years of famine to come. And the seven-year period is going to be the one week signed off by the Antichrist. And that is the starting point of the tribulation. Now, how close are we to that? Nobody knows. But when you see all the pieces of the jigsaw being put together on the stage, you begin to realize, hang on, folks, we can't be that far away from it. And that's what we're seeing happen in our day today. We've seen Israel come back to the land after 2,000 years, being reestablished in their own homeland. That's a miracle for any nation. A nation to have retained their identity under such terrible duress as pogroms and holocausts, where everybody would want to hide their identity of being a Jew. This nation has still maintained their identity. They even have their ancient language back due to a dedicated Jew by the name of Ben Yehuda, who revived the language of the Jews, according to Zechariah, uh, Zephaniah, sorry, Zephaniah's prophecy, Zephaniah 3.9. And they are back in the land, and we see as well all the other things of prophecy coming to pass. So it looks like we're approaching this, and we need to be aware of this. This war that we're seeing happening now is a fulfillment of the last verse, which says, and war will continue until the end. This is part of what we're seeing. Israel is going to be in a strife of war. But you know what? War always makes people want to sign peace agreements. And all the, at the moment, the UN are saying, okay, we want you to be careful you don't commit genocide. But the time is going to come when the united abominations are going to say to Israel, right, now we've got to have peace. And there'll be somebody who will set out to make a peace plan. We've got to be understanding where this is going and why it's so important to us today. So that's the uh, seven years and why we call this time uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel. It's the last of week of Daniel's prophecy, the 490 years being completed uh, and the signing of the Antichrist. And by the way, that's what triggers the tribulation, not the rapture. The rapture happens before that, but it's the signing of the tribulation, tri- of the treaty, that begins the uh, tribulation itself. Now, the third thing we see here about the Antichrist is his idolatry. Because what we're told in verse 27 is how the Antichrist, actually having made that covenant, then actually breaks it. 
And it says, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to do something that the Jewish people never imagined. And that is, he is going to set up an idol for everyone, including them, to worship. And some people today think, you know, oh, come on, you know, dictators making idols, that was the stuff of old-fashioned Rome. Well, it was the stuff of Rome, you're right there. But it's something that still happens today. Just ask the people of Turkmenistan, who have to bow down to a statue of their leader. Just ask the people of North Korea who have to bow down to the statue of their deified leader. This is not the stuff that's in the past. It's the stuff that's in the world today. And it's what the Antichrist is going to do in the last days. And uh, he's going to set up on the wing of the temple uh, an abomination. And an abomination in the Bible is an idol. Do you remember in Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it, doesn't, where it shouldn't be, flee Judah, flee Jerusalem, let the reader understand. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about that idol being set up. And this is what the Antichrist is going to do. And you'll notice he does it, as I've said already, in the temple. Well, what does that mean? That means the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. I haven't got any pictures for you tonight. That's a whole sermon in itself. But the temple is on its way again. And the Temple Institute in Jerusalem is just one of the organizations, the Temple Mount Faithful and so on, who are working to get this ready. Another sign that we're in the era of these things, I believe. But when that temple is set up, Israel will have sacrifices and offering. But in the middle of that time, He will bring the sacrifices and the offerings to an end. And in its place, he will set himself up to be worshipped instead. That's also what 2 Thessalonians 2.4 said. Do you remember? He sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And Revelation chapter 13 teaches the same thing. Listen, dear friends, I want you to know the Bible doesn't contain in the New Testament for no reason. At the end of the book of 1 John, little children, keep yourselves from idolatry. It's in there because it's a New Testament thing as well as an Old Testament thing. And the true Christ will never get you to bow down to an idol. He will turn you to his father and he always gives glory to his father. And uh, we want to worship him. So that's his idolatry. Finally, thankfully, we see his calamity. And this is the last thing we see at the end of the verse. It says, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Or the phrase can be the desolator. Now, I take the desolator to be the Antichrist. And what it's saying here is at the end of this time, then there is going to be a judgment of God on the man himself, on the Antichrist. And the consummation which is determined will be his judgment. You know, one of the things I love about the prophecies of Daniel, 
every single one of them ends with the judgment of God falling on the head of the Antichrist. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue with the uh, rock cut without hands, smashing it to powder when it comes down. Whether it's Daniel chapter 7 and the uh, judgment on the little horn. Or whether it's Daniel chapter 8 when it says he shall be, in verse 25, broken without human means. Or whether it's in Daniel chapter 11 where at the end it says about him, Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Every chapter ends with the judgment of God on the Antichrist. And I want to tell you tonight, the true Christ is going to take care of the Antichrist. He's a formidable, dangerous person, this prince who is to come. And he's going to lead the whole world astray. But I'm pleased to tell you the true Christ is going to defeat him. And he is the winner. So whose side are you on? I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ and I urge every one of you to put your trust in him and rest your faith in him alone. Christ is coming, but the Antichrist is coming too. So choose tonight who you want to follow and worship. We're going to see our our last hymn now. Uh, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me.